Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like finding an onion ring in your french fries good. Feel that way every single day when you work with a Trunk Club personal stylist. Meet your stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. This show is brought to you by Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward. With Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum Card. Backed by the service and security of American Express. This is the Forbes interview on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do deep dive interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. These are the faces you see on the cover of Forbes. And if they aren't in the cover, they easily could be. Okay, hey everybody, welcome to the show. We have a great episode today. We have David Un, who is the president of Samsung Next, which is kind of the Navy SEALs of Samsung's innovation arm. So David, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. And I like the reference. You like that? So explain yeah. to me a little more about what you, what you guys do, what the mission is. Uh, well, we're a, a group that focuses on software and services on behalf of a very large global hardware company. And uh, what we do is we work exclusively with startups. Uh, we have a venture fund. Uh, we have a partnerships group. Uh, we have an acquisitions team. And we build our own products through startups that we start in offices located around the world. And what's kind of your mission? Like when you're looking for startups, what sort of things... Do you, does it have to fit in the Samsung ecosystem or is it just, which is probably everything, or are you just, if you see something cool, you'll, you'll kind of track that down? Well, that's just it. I mean, you can uh, imagine in a world where you have uh, mobile phones, uh, TVs, uh, all sorts of displays, uh, potentially any uh, category could be interesting, but we, uh, we have priorities, obviously. And what we're looking for is uh, uh, software and services that will enhance an experience that someone could have when they buy a Samsung product. And how big is, how big is your team right now? Um, we uh, have uh, uh, companies that we operate ourselves, mm-hmm. and we have the teams that I described, but um, roughly 400 or so. And that's inside of Samsung, which has, what, hundreds of thousands? If not- yeah, it's uh, 325,000 plus. And, and that's why I think the Navy SEALs uh, analogy is an interesting one, because uh, it's one that I often use. I, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where there's a lot of military. And um, the way I describe it is that um, we're a smaller team inside of a larger organization. We work uh, very closely with the larger organization. Um, but we go in uh, very early, and we try to identify really interesting things for the company, um, sometimes long before the rest of the company. That's, I mean, it's great because it's, it's like us. So it's a swift, nimble arm of a very you know, big, almost, it's almost its own nation in a way. Well, it's, uh, it's super large. And, and, uh, when I, it, sometimes the numbers are like mind boggling. So for example, Steve, um, we sell something like two TVs a second. Um, we spend, uh, in any given year, 12 to $14 billion a year on R and D. So there are a lot of, um, people and offices working on, uh, innovation broadly defined, and what, what we do is um, focus, as I said, on startups because the, the point I've made internally is, hey, look, all the work that we're doing internally is fantastic and it's yielded great, great results. But particularly in software, um, historically at least, a lot of the innovation has tended to come from startups. 
Mm-hmm. So why don't we cover the entire spectrum of potential innovation and have a group that's dedicated to working with them, identifying them, supporting them, and um, that's what we do. Can you give me a few examples of some you know recent partnerships or acquisitions or with new startups and new software in the Samsung world? Well, uh, one thing that's taken up um, uh, a lot of our attention in a, in a good way um, is a company called SmartThings. And um, uh, I met the founder a few years ago um, uh, at a conference through one of their VCs. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had this idea um, to create an open platform that would connect all sorts of different devices from different companies. Uh, and, and this was the beginning of what, what is now referred to as IoT, mm-hmm. the Internet of Things. And um, one of the reasons I joined Samsung um, a little bit over five years ago was I, I, I came in and I saw, as, as I told you, all these displays that were uh, being uh, created and sold. <clears throat> and um, I said, you know, these displays are increasingly connected to the Internet, mm-hmm. um, but they're not yet connected to each other. And one day, if you could connect these displays to each other through software, you'd effectively have one of the largest platforms for distributing content and services and any manner of things. And um, when I met uh, the founder of this company, a guy named Alex Hawkinson, he described a similar vision. And um, I thought, gosh, you know, this is really interesting because he's really thinking about being that connector for different devices. Mm-hmm. So uh, initially, I thought about investing in the company. So it's like a language that all the every device can kind of speak with, or at least connect everything through a, a single, I guess, like OS in a way. Well, wh- what's happened is that there are different protocols or standards that have been developed for different devices to speak to one another. And what uh, this company has done is effectively put all these different standards together in one in in one uh, place. So. Um, for example, a lot of people have different devices in their home now, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's an Amazon Alexa or controlling the door locks or lights. Um, but typically what you do is you have to open up your, your smartphone and open up a particular app for that particular device. Mm-hmm. And what, um, what we've done through SmartThings, which uh, my point here is we, we later acquired them okay, yeah. and now run them, is that you on one app can control all the devices, even if they're from different companies and well, operate on different standards. So it's like a universal, universal remote for all your, all your things. That's right. Oh, you think about it almost as a universal remote for your connected home. Can it run an Apple TV? Because I have a three-year-old son, and his favorite game is finding the Apple remote. And he says it goes into a hole. And I don't know where that hole is. But when we find the hole, it's going to have like 17 remote controls and probably like my, an old cell phone. Um, the smart things has not yet connected with Apple products, but Sh- it'd be shocking. Great. Apple it, won't let you in. I can't believe it. It would be great if we could figure out a way to do that <laughs> and kind of give me, so this is such a, you know, you, you have such a big mission in the sense of, you know, you're, you, you travel the globe and find cool things, um, that can work with Samsung, which covers everything by the way, from phones to TVs to fridges to, you know, everything. How do you, give me like a day in the life and how do you, how do you kind of manage this, this big, this giant net that you have to cast? Well, uh, the day in life uh, involves a lot of travel, uh, typically, but one of the things I've, I've learned through plenty of scar tissue over the years is uh, having a really strong team mm. of folks. And so each of these groups that I mentioned to you, and we, and we have other functions, um, uh, is led by a really effective leader, a strong leader. And um, so on any given week, I, I could be in New York, where I live, or in Silicon Valley, where we have offices in, in San Francisco and Mountain View. Um, but as I said, you know, we've, we've opened up in Tel Aviv and in Berlin, we're expanding in Europe, et cetera. Uh, so, uh, a typical day could be, um, 
meeting with an interesting entrepreneur or startup looking to raise capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be meeting with uh, folks at more established companies looking for partnership or um, exploring potential ways uh, that we could create a joint venture. Um, uh, what I do yesterday, I, um, I met with uh, someone who works in the, the cable industry, mm-hmm. and they're thinking about how they want to evolve their businesses and wondering how Samsung uh, could be a partner. So a lot of the things that I do um, bridge not just my group, but um, I'm uh, one of very, I think, few people who have worked in the media business, uh, and uh, I still keep in touch with a lot of folks on, in the media world. And so I think a lot of the conversations that I will have with people who come from companies that aren't startups Mm -hmm. are those seeking ways to create partnerships with us. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. Business can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and at the source. However you move your business forward, With Business Platinum, it's not about where you are. It's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card. Backed by the service and security of American Express. Speaking of your your media background, I mean, you have a very interesting resume. I'd love to kind of take me through your your history real quick. And what Uh, what led from Virginia Beach to uh, basically a a business class seat around the world <laughs> going from Tel Aviv to Seoul to uh, back to Silicon Valley. It's funny in, in, in preparation for this, someone asked me, uh, well, how, how many flights did you take last year? Because you travel so much and I, I didn't know myself. So by the way, the, the, the number is, uh, 60, 60 flights just 60 for flights. business last year. So I had, how many, how many miles do you think? Uh, something like an actual miles, not the accredited miles and yeah. everything. It's something close to 300,000 miles or something. So uh, a lot of time on a plane. I think it's uh, 11 or 12 times around the, the planet. Well, you must have a great roller bag. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, I have to go through, I think it's one a year or something like that at this point. Um, but uh, I'm forgetting the question. I'm saying uh, just go through your, um, I'd love to hear kind of you know, what, how, what led you, your career, because you've had many different, you've worked at a lot of, like, you know, a lot of very bellwether companies and a lot of different roles. Just, I'd love to kind of hear your, your journey. Yeah. Um, if <laughs> I it, said I wasn't going to say that word ever again. So I guess. <laughs> if it, if it seems like there was a, a plan or design, um, that's only in hindsight. Um, I, I've worked primarily in media and consumer tech companies my, over my core, uh, over the course of my career. Um, I started at NBC entertainment in LA uh, in the mid to late nineties. And I was, I was the young kid who was, who was yelling out, Hey, this internet stuff is, it's going to change the world. And, uh, and they kind of humored me and, mm-hmm. and, and let me work on what was then digital initiatives. And this was like, you're working old school TV, old school TV. Um, uh, initially I got my job working in a group called business affairs, okay. uh, where we literally negotiated with agents and managers and other entertainment lawyers to uh, acquire content effectively for the, for the network. And, and that's yeah, you're the I, one that brought Seinfeld to NBC, right? That was your... <laughs> I, you know, the, my, my joke was uh, back then ER was very popular yeah. and uh, success or uh, popularity uh, breeds many, many founding fathers, right? Or mothers as the case may be. And uh, you'd run into so many people who claimed to be literally at the pitch meeting for ER. Yeah. Um, but it, it was great. And it was a, a heady time. Uh, and back then, uh, the network was doing very, very well. But they still allowed uh, me and, and uh, a few other folks who believed in the Internet to really explore it, to try some interesting mm-hmm. things out. And I was hooked. 
Yeah, it's amazing too, like how much you forget, like especially in the, like, well, uh, before the internet, basically, like the audiences these shows had. It's in, like, incredible. I remember I was at an event with uh, Harry Shearer from uh, The Simpsons, who does all the voices and Spinal Tap. Yeah, huge, and he's yeah, I think huge fan. And he was um, saying that. The Simpsons is still the number two show on Fox in ratings. It's amazing. And it's been around for yeah. how many years? It's, it's almost 20 years, I think. Yeah. But he was saying that it's number two in Fox right now. But those ratings, 10 years ago, it would be like the number 17th show on Fox. Mm-hmm. It just shows you that the, this co- corporate, we forget like the audience and now how dispersed it is. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, to, uh, I, I won't get all the numbers right, but I remember on, uh, we, we used to have a lineup on Thursdays called Must See TV. Yeah. And on any given Thursday, you'd have 30, 35, sometimes 40 million households watching, uh, which is just, uh, I mean, those are, those are uh, you know, NFL playoff type numbers. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Final four, yeah. final four numbers. Yeah. Um, so, and so what was your, okay, so back in the 90s, there wasn't much, I mean, there was barely any video on, on the web. There was none. None, because it was too, yeah, way too expensive in yeah. the technology. So what were you, when you were pounding for digital, what, were you, what kind of things were you saying? Well, back in the day, um, it was, uh, well, Real Networks was the streaming company, mm-hmm. and they'd started out with audio. And then through modems, right? Remember the dial-up modem? Oh, yeah. um, what we were able to do is, <laughs> for a very long period of time, show images and text. And so I remember working with a group, uh, Homicide was a show yeah. um, on Friday nights at NBC. And we did this whole uh, parallel series called Homicide Second Shift. And it was um, sort of all the backstories. And we took some of the characters and we introduced some new characters. And we created this whole arc um, for just the Internet at the time uh, where you had to rely only on text and some audio and a few uh, images. I mean, you, there was no video. Homicide the book. <laughs> the ebook. Yeah, and, and it's funny. I still keep in touch with a lot of folks who are involved with that initiative. But back then, if you, we, we knew that there would be a day where you would likely get video. Mm. Um, but the idea that, that the bulk of video consumption for many people would shift away from traditional TV or linear broadcast and, um, and go to internet-delivered um, content um, at the time was a theory, yeah. um, but it seemed, it seemed pretty far away. And then from NBC, where would you move, move on to? Uh, moved to New York and worked in venture capital mm-hmm. and, and ultimately Time Warner, uh, another media company, yep. obviously. And uh, it, the t- time for me at Time Warner was particularly interesting because uh, and, and my last couple of years there, I worked for a guy named Don Logan, uh, who was running half the, the company at the time, mm-hmm. Uh, with Jeff Bukas, who's now the CEO yep. there. But what Don did is he ran um, effectively the subscription businesses that were, uh, so the magazines, Time Warner Cable, AOL, um, these businesses mm. reported into to him. And um, I spent a lot of my time uh, uh, in a similar fashion to NBC thinking about um, how the divisions might, might work closely together, but how digital distribution in particular it's funny um, running, would it's, affect these businesses. It's funny that someone was running AOL and magazines at the same time. It's it's quite a brain shift. Well, and at the time there was um, part of the original <clears throat> deal, the AOL Time Warner deal, uh, resulted in <clears throat> a joint ad sales team, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And so um, there were theories then um, that today would make a lot, still make a lot of sense. Um, but for a lot of reasons, you know, it might have been early. There were uh, different types of personalities and, and mindsets uh, that were um, kind of, uh, they were in the mindset of, 
operating their current businesses. And so this idea of connecting and doing things like taking your content and distributing it digitally was mm-hmm. was a revolutionary idea. Yeah, I mean, even if even if Forbes and my first started in two thousand eight, we had Forbes magazine that down the street was Forbes dot com, and there was no inter- they put them away from each other because they were afraid there'd be some they'd cannibalize each other. And then I remember like slowly they'd have one person whose job it was to digitize like two magazine stories an issue right um and now obviously we do everything at, at once it's pretty cool like everyone else it's pretty incredible well there was a time right where um someone could publish a story online but they didn't want them to publish it online too quickly because it might depress interest in the magazine that would come out later yep. right and so i mean this is one example of something that uh, we're all going through now you me um, it's a version of the innovator's dilemma, mm-hmm. right? Where you have a group of people in a business that's doing relatively well, if not fantastically, and there's something coming in from the side. It could be a new technology or a new way of doing things. And, you know, it's either seen as too small and, and distracting to the core or threatening mm-hmm. or both, ironically enough. And, and, and I think the challenge for companies today, and, and this is why I have my group, but um, what you're describing even at Forbes, is this idea of how do you keep this airplane in the air, because it's important that you do, yep. but tinker with the engine, right? Because you know where this is headed. And, um, and what's the right timing of implementing change, and how do you balance that? And this is this is the challenge for so many companies across different industries, right? What do you see now? What what is that thing coming on the side right now that people think is just a little blip or annoying, but is going to change the way we do stuff? What do you What are you seeing on well, the front lines? I mean, n- name the industry. Let's, uh, let's stick with media and and uh, media and tech. Let's say maybe well, it's maybe it's consumption, TVs. Uh, yeah, um, we we can talk about uh, we could talk about. Uh, uh, Television, yeah. right? As we know it, I mean the the model of having uh, networks and channels, uh, whether delivered um, terrestrially or through cable, is undergoing fundamental shift right now, right? Because consumer behavior and um, the way audiences uh, want to access the content is changing so dramatically, and that's been brought about by what we're talking about yeah, now, exactly. um, the, uh, the new technology and, and the fact that you can deliver content now through the Internet, effectively. And so what you're seeing uh, uh, now, and you'll see it, I think, at an accelerated rate, is what they call over-the-top apps, right? Where, uh, like an app, an app that you open on your, your phone, mm-hmm. you should be able to click open uh, an app on a tablet or your smart TV and effectively select different types of programming that you'd want. And once that starts to happen and people start paying subscriptions, yeah. right, like, they, like you do for your Netflix every month, um, it puts pressure on um, your cable bill where you effectively are paying one fat, flat rate mm-hmm. for a bunch of channels. And um, it, what it does is it uh, makes uh, companies on both sides, either on the, on the cable or traditional television end, rethink the way they do their deals for content, yeah. the way they distribute their content, the way they price it, right, to various people who want it. And then on the other side, you have companies that are uh, thinking and, and know that one way to engage audiences and to keep them there for a long time is through content, particularly mm-hmm. video content. And this is why you're seeing companies like, I just read the other day, Facebook is really going to uh, invest ex- aggressively into the space yep. by literally buying um, what would have otherwise been TV or video content. 
And so uh, this is a, a lot of change um, um, and uh, a lot of um, challenge for companies in it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I think consumers are going to have a lot more choice and they're going to have a lot uh, of really interesting content come out um, competing for their attention. Yeah, it's wild that you mentioned. Like, I surprised myself how many times I'm sitting at home with we were watching TV, but the TV is being powered by you know, AirPlay on either Amazon Prime or on Netflix on my phone, even though the kill box is there. It's just, it's just so easy. It's just incredible that you can watch this being powered by this thing next to you on the coffee table. It's, 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 a, it's incredible. Yeah, and then uh, one of the things that uh, I've come to really appreciate um, after joining Samsung is that uh, our TVs are, are fantastic, you mm-hmm. know, and we, and we sell a lot of them. And uh, while most people use them as, quote-unquote, TVs, right, to consume a linear video signal from their cable company, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, more and more people are connecting their smart TVs to the internet, yeah. right? And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that most people now have smartphones, and so when you take it out of the box, you automatically do things to connect and register yourself. And, mm-hmm. and this, the experience is similar to a TV, uh, a smart TV. Mm-hmm. And so what the TV is morphing into is... Uh, having both the traditional TV capability, if that's the right way of putting it, but it becomes a huge tablet. Yeah, exactly. Right? And <laughs> a, so, wall, a wall-mounted tablet. Right. And so um, what uh, the opportunity, I think, for Samsung is to create an experience where a consumer can use it, quote-unquote, as a huge tablet mm-hmm. and have apps and pull information, but also use it as a fantastic, probably the, the best display you'll ever see, for consuming video content for television in the home. And so, uh, again, for consumers, you can do that while actually opening another tablet or your smartphone. Mm-hmm. And, and research tells us that more and more people are doing that. So the idea, again, going back to the, your disruption question, is if you're producing content or you're a company that aggregates content and tries to get audience, or um, you're a technology company trying to figure out how you can wedge your foot in, into that door, all this is going on and trying to figure out um, the kind of um, products that you need to mm-hmm. offer to folks, the kind of marketing messages that you need to to put together is it's you know pretty much a jump ball right now. You think Samsung will start making content? Um, you know, you never say never about anything, um, but uh, I always believe that our strength is in being a really great partner for mm-hmm. other uh, for other companies who are in that in that business, and and that's what we do today. So if you go to uh, you know if you take our smart TV. Um, you, the, you know, I always tell people if you really are a big Netflix fan, um, there is a customized Netflix app that is loaded onto our smart TV. And when you use that app, it is uh, a fantastic experience. Mm -hmm. So we'll continue to do things like that. Um, but, uh, as, as the world shifts more and more to this OTT world that I described, Mm -hmm. uh, I think we'll think about uh, ways that we can be, uh, an even more creative partner for folks who want to get into that space. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like finding an onion ring in your french fries good. Feel that way every single day when you work with a Trunk Club personal stylist. Meet your stylist at trunklove.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. 
Hi, I'm Tavis Smiley. You may know me from my PBS talk show. I'm excited to tell you that I have a brand new podcast that you can hear on podcast1.com starting this July. I'll discuss the latest in politics, sports, music, and much more with big thinkers, artists, and celebrities. I'll also share my own opinions and answer some of your questions. So join the conversation this July on the Tavis Smiley podcast coming to podcast1.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Brought to you by the all-new crossover Toyota CHR. Edgy, stylish, and fun to drive. Visit toyota.com slash c dash hr. That's toyota.com slash c dash hr to learn more. Embrace the unexpected. What are your bold predictions for the actual you know, physical televisions? I mean, I feel like they've become so commoditized in a way. We went from, you know, the 3D glasses that didn't catch on just in the industry, the curved TVs, the... Uh, you know, VR, AR kind of stuff. Like what is in 10 years from now, what's like a top of the line TV going to be? Um, the top of the line TV might not look like a TV. Um, it will be a display of some sort and we'll have lots of different types of functionality. Super thin, kind of like just a like wallpaper kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that's, that's already actually been produced. Um, for example, a few years ago I was at uh, CES and in our in our exhibit, there was um, it looked like a window. I mean, it it was a window. You could look through it, mm-hmm. but you literally press a button and it could turn into digital shades, or and then it could turn into a quote unquote TV. You could mm-hmm. get TV signals, or it turned into a tablet. So that kind of technology is has been created. Whether it becomes mass or not uh, is another question. And part of uh, what my group does is we work very closely with folks in TV or in our mobile group to think about um, how do you create an experience that um, is more than just the sum of its hardware and software parts that integrated together create something unique. Mm. And, and to your question, if, if you want to sell, let's say, more TVs or whatever TVs look like 10 years from now, um, my, my theory is that it can't just be uh, a really thin, sexy display, it has to have an integration with different types of software and services mm-hmm. that um, provides you with a really unique personalized experience that you couldn't get through another hardware, a piece of hardware from another company. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a challenge for us. Is your house now like the Jetsons? Is it like the the, the unhushold? It's just <laughs> you walk in and it, it's everything's talking to you and uh, voice activated? Um, you know, we do have a lot of things going on. I, I always like to experiment with different things. Um, what are you playing with now? Well, you know, I... I, uh, I so uh, just so this isn't a complete uh, commercial for Samsung, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I've been experimenting with and, and, and my kids like this is we'll compare uh, the Google Home device to the Amazon Alexa device and mm-hmm. we'll ask it different types of questions. And then smart things, as I was talking about earlier, um, is, uh, is integrated. Who's winning, Google or, or Alexa in the home? Uh, well, winning meaning... Um, What's it better? If you, had to, if you had to choose one, which, what, would the, what would you and your kids pick right now? Well, you know, um, and this, this reflects their, their, their strategies. Um, what I like about the Alexa is um, that, that they have these things called routines, right? Um, and the, the diversity of routines is unbelievable. Um, what, probably, do, what do they do? Well, they, it could, uh, you, you download different routines on your app, and then um, you can uh, basically launch them on your Echo device. So whether it's news or weather or very particular things like telling you a joke, mm-hmm. um, 
uh, it's, uh, it's really a, a interesting eye-opening experience. Um, uh, the, the strength of Google Home is that uh, Google Home is um, integrated with other Google services, and um, there's a similar service that works on your mobile devices as well. So um, I think those companies are approaching it from slightly different uh, vantage points. And then, uh, of course, in our home, we, you know, we have Samsung devices, mm-hmm. but um, Samsung increasingly, not, not just through my group, but also just in our, in our divisions that are producing the hardware, they're, they're producing different software and services to complement the hardware too. So one of the things that I, I'm constantly thinking about is how does all this come together? And how do you do this in a way where um, your, again, your traditional products and businesses can thrive, but you still uh, experiment by getting into new things? And, uh, and, and so the best way to answer that question is looking at sometimes what uh, really innovative startups and other companies are doing. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of that going on in the unhouse help. Yeah, it's cool. We have, a, we have an Alexa, and I love it because it's the only person in my house that actually listens to me, which is, <laughs> which is good. But it, after you, like, someone, I, I got it, and I'm like, oh, this will be fun to play with. But it makes every device that's not voice activated feel like clunky and dumb in a way. Like I want to be able to talk to my oven or just turn the TV on and be like, put the what this show on. Like it's it makes you want to be you know able to just voice activate everything. Yeah, you know it's it's um, it's surprising because for a lot of people that was their aha moment for what a connected home could become. Um, uh, because it, 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 on one hand, it, it, it's not that difficult, right, to turn a light switch on or off, mm-hmm. right? Or to even look on your mobile device and, and uh, catch the news or, or see what the weather is going to yeah. be like. But there's something about um, being able to speak uh, naturally and get a response back. Um, I think the, the next evolution is going to be that you won't necessarily have to ask what you want and through patterns and um, you know what's now referred to as artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. it will know who you are and will know at that particular time in the particular place what you're, what's likely on your mind and suggest certain types of information or choices to you. Uh, and then you may still be able to interact with it. So this, this, uh, this era of really super smart devices um, is just right around the corner. So I can like walk in my house and something would pour me a drink and it'll be, it'll be perfect. Well, I mean, <laughs> even before you walk in your house, as you approach your house, mm-hmm. it, it will know where you are. And, uh, you know, in a New York summer, it might kick on your air conditioning yep. before, but not necessarily have it on all day. Uh, and as set you, the lights or set the shades. And that's right. As you approach your house, you know, you might be even before you touch the door, it will know that it's you and unlock the door and you'll come in and the lights and the shades will be set to what what you like, what your preferences are. There could be music playing. Uh, you could come in and certain things can talk to you. You know, your Samsung refrigerator, when you walk in the kitchen, could post messages mm-hmm. and, and alerts. Um, you walk in your living room and the TV could say, you know, hey, Steve, how was that meeting today that you had with David Unn, right? Mm-hmm. And by the way, you like Robert Downey Jr. movies. Uh, Iron Man is playing, you know, tonight at 8. Do you want me to save it? Et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And... Almost like an electronic butler, in a way. All, all that's actually possible today. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the question is, how does it all come together? And how many people will actually uh, take the steps to put that kind of functionality into their home? And, and, and that's a lot of stuff that we think about. Wow, and our kids will love it, too, because be like, warning, mom and dad are going to be are 10 minutes away. <laughs>
<laughs> Hide everything. Let's go. You know, it, it's it's fun because uh, for for those of us who have uh, who have uh, kids, especially younger kids, it's it's amazing how quickly right they embrace the technology and, and figure things out. And so a lot of times when you ask people who they're IT specialist, it's it's one of their kids yeah, at home. It's crazy. And then what are we seeing? Like obviously Samsung and just you're on the forefront of all this stuff, but. Um, you know, obviously phones are such a, it's a remote control for our lives right now. What are you seeing? What's like the next innovations in phones? Um, I mean, they're getting so good, but they're, you know, it's, it's the touch screen's incredible and just the whole ease of it. Like what, how do you make it better? Everyone's always saying like, okay, we've, we've hit, you know, the phones are just there. There's no step changes right now. There will be, but what's like the next evolution in these things? That's going to be like, wow, this is something new and different. Not just another, another, you know, tablet kind of thing. Well, so what I described to you, this idea of using artificial intelligence and having the equivalent of a digital assistant or a, a butler, I think was your yeah. word, um, I think that will be more and more um, something that people will want and appreciate in their mobile devices. The mobile device could become the remote control for your life, is mm-hmm. what I say, right? And, uh, and that will appeal to a lot of people. Um, but on the other hand, when you look at what uh, consumers today really value, a lot of times it's like the meat and potatoes type functionality. For, so, for example, uh, when, you, when you do research of different uh, types, um, people really value the camera mm-hmm. in their smartphone. It's become their main way of uh, documenting their life. And, and you look no further than the most popular social media yep. uh, outlets, and, and it's very photocentric, right? And so um, it turns out that having a really great camera is a huge, huge selling point mm-hmm. and an important factor for purchase decisions for consumers, right? And if you think about the way you use your own smartphone, it really is a little mini supercomputer. I mean, how many? when's the last time you actually dialed someone up and had a 30-minute long conversation? It really doesn't happen anymore. No. But you use it for so many things, and it turns out like simple, really core uh, functionality, functionality like taking photos is really important. So on one hand... You know, your device might become the remote control for your life and have a digital assistant that knows you and is super smart and can anticipate your needs. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's got to be a great life documentation device and the camera has to be awesome. Yeah, do they even sell camcorders anymore? I would would imagine yes, uh, but But not mainstream. I think they're probably really challenged. Going back to the innovator's dilemma point, uh, even digital cameras, which, you know, put a crimp on uh, analog cameras. Uh, have been super, super challenged, right, by smartphones. And, and of course, a camera and battery is huge, too, right? That's, the... that's right. That's right. Again, kind of putting your futurist cap on here right now, what are, what are you really excited about right now? Uh, I'm, I'm excited by a lot of things, which is why this is a, a cool job. Um, uh, you know, I have and continue to be excited about the possibilities of IoT, the Internet of Things. Um, I don't think it will happen overnight, but mm-hmm. I think more and more Homes and, and certainly businesses um, will um, see the value and the, the convenience of having different devices connect to one another and just making your life easier. Um, we've been very long uh, on, on VR um, as a company for a while. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, VR isn't just about entertainment and games. Uh, and there's some great applications and stuff out already. Um, but it's a, for me a, a fantastic way for people to connect with one another. Mm-hmm. It's a social experience, and what you're going to find is that more and more people will be able to document entire memories and experiences through VR that will that you'll be able to relive. 
I, I don't know if that's making sense, but you know, in the same way that a video or a photo captures a moment, and then years later when you look back on it, you know, you, it, it kind of tweaks that that sense of nostalgia, and, and mm-hmm. it's like a flashback. Imagine being able to um, record an experience in VR, and then travel back and almost feel like you're in there at that moment physically right in the future and i think once that technology uh improves the idea of reliving special moments and uh, documenting them and then sharing them with others um will um will be game changing that kind of creeps me out well you know it seems very like you said nostalgia but almost like it could be like heartbreaking nostalgia it could, but, but I mean, it's just on the spectrum of what a, uh, a photo could do, right? Or a video could do, or but a it's powerfully so, but written it's so, story. It's so immer- I think we've done all these, like, because, you know, VR is being used big time for, like, you know, like almost, they're like empathy machines. Like, I remember, That's right. you know, Charity Water had that great experience, and, like, it was really, like, it's so much different than watching, like, an ad on TV. Like, you're in the middle of this, you know, them breaking a well and everyone's celebrating. It just, That's right. It's just so emotional. It's kind of crazy, the idea of, like, this reliving your life kind of thing is yeah there's a picture but then this seems like like almost like crazy in yeah. the sense of like real like emotion well you, you mentioned charity water and it, it's something that so i, I work with scott harrison yeah, who's the founder of charity water on that and he saw immediately the the power of tra- like transporting people through this empathy machine to a remote village right where they're trying to dig a well and bring fresh water to the villagers. And you can hear about it. You can read accounts of it. You could even see a video. But once you, you know, strap in and you look around and you, it's so immersive and you feel like you're there, um, it is very powerful. Uh, and you know, maybe it, it might be uh, creepy for some people, but I think for most it will be uh, an unbelievable way to experience and um, realize things that you'd, you'd never be able to mm-hmm. physically. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Introducing an all-new crossover Toyota CHR. Embrace the unexpected. Distinctive style meets unique spirit in the all-new Toyota CHR. Introducing an edgy crossover that effortlessly takes center stage. Agile handling helps show off its athletic side with a driver-focused cockpit that keeps you in command, whether you're cruising through the city or taking on your favorite winding road. Uniquely expressive, CHR's precision cut lines let it shine from every angle. And tucked away neatly and nicely all throughout your CHR are advanced safety features and measures that are designed to help keep you alert and safe in the event of an accident. Because as any good driver knows, accidents can happen, and when it comes to driving, the best defense is a smart offense. Born from the ingenuity of a race car driver, CHR is designed to maximize driving pleasure every time you turn the wheel. So embrace and express that bold spirit in the smartest way possible. Visit toyota.com slash C dash HR to learn more. Drivers are responsible for their own safe driving. Always pay attention to your surroundings and drive safely. Depending on the conditions of roads, weather, and the vehicle, the systems may not work as intended. What's your reading list? Like, How do you stay on top of all these different... I mean, you have to be an expert on the cutting edge of everything from media to electronics to things that aren't even invented yet. Like, How do you keep up with everything? This is <clears throat> this is where I I start by I read anything written by uh, Steve Bertoni first is oh so is you're, you're the you're the one thank you that, I appreciate was that was this was now the time to put in that plug yes thank okay, I'll give you I'll, I'll Venmo you the, the money right now <laughs> um, uh, I'm constantly reading and uh, it really uh, <laughs> annoys my wife uh, but w- one of the things that uh, I'm always doing is uh, just trying to consume 
as much uh, content because I, I find it interesting. So uh, to answer your question, uh, increasingly and, and not purposefully, uh, a lot of my social um, media has become a source of interesting content mm-hmm. for me. That's that's one thing. Uh, and then I have so uh, by following founders or or tech journalists or just people in the industry. Exactly, exactly. So whether it's uh, on Facebook or Twitter, um, uh, it's it's gotten to the point now where the the people that I've connected with are really amazing sources of interesting information mm-hmm. because they're interested in a lot of the stuff I am. Right, you know, magic. Um, the the other thing is uh, there are a few sources that I have where people will. Uh, aggregate different types of stories or content, uh, and so it's sort of like a, an, a, a great uh, abbreviated way to identify things that will likely be interesting to me. It's like a so, new, like newsletters, or what, what, what do you exactly? So uh, one that I read every day, and, and 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 more and more people in media and technology are reading this is uh, is uh, actually something that a friend of mine curates. His name's Jason Hirshhorn. and it's called Media Redefined, mm-hmm. and um, I, I I think it's an amazing. Uh, source of stories that cut across media and technology and sports and fashion and politics and a whole bunch of things. But it really, it, the the sweet spot is media and technology, mm-hmm. I would say. Uh, so that's something that I read. Um, there's uh, lots of go-to, quote-unquote, traditional sources. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I, I still appreciate uh, the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, uh, Wall Street Journal, et cetera. And, uh, and then... Uh, at work, for example, we have um, we have communication tools, right? Mm. Messaging platforms, uh, and part of what we do as a group and, and part of our culture is for us to share links to different stories with each other. And and when you have uh, hundreds of people coming across really interesting things and sharing them, um, it's a great way to kind of keep is this keep like your o- eyes is like fresh. O- over slack or over email or just other internal communication things yeah well uh we we use something uh called telegram mm-hmm. um and uh we've experimented with different uh, messaging uh, apps oh, um, telegram's the encrypted one right uh, one the- i i think most of these uh messaging uh, platforms are encrypted mm-hmm. but it's one that we've been using for gotcha, a while yeah. and then personally i use uh, lots of different messaging um messaging uh, apps and i, I think uh um I'm going to have to put a plug in for uh, Dave Marcus, who runs the yeah, Facebook yeah. Messenger. But that's, I mean, what they're doing over there and, and evolving that product is uh, is unbelievable. Yeah. So I, I find myself using that a lot more these days as well. Do you ever unplug? I think the answer is supposed to be yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Only when the plane Wi-Fi is down, basically? Yeah, and, and even then, you know, you can download content to your devices and stuff so uh, i don't unplug a lot i I think it's probably important to unplug and uh, i've tried to unplug more and more in a disciplined way um but i'm not very good at it not very good at it Uh, i just feel like um you know the the line between what you would sort of read or do for fun and what you read um that is actually helpful to work at least for me has kind of there's some overlaps there and um, you know, I, I think maybe that's, that's a good thing sometimes too, right? Uh, maybe a fortunate thing in some respects. Yeah. If everything blends together, then it's all, you're having fun, even if you're doing work or, uh, 
leisure stuff. Right. Or um, you have no boundaries and you need to uh, you know, put some lines in so you can unplug. But there's probably a balance in there that, that I and a lot of people have to, to strike. But uh, I, I'm online and on devices a lot, a lot during the day. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? Um, so, I, you know, I've, I've shied away from it. But when I meet people, um, they, for, for lots of reasons, they're really fascinated by, you know, I was in that airplane crash. And at first I used to not want to talk about it. And then I realized, you know, a lot of people are really curious about it. And I thought, well, maybe there's something there that's not, um, I don't know what the right word is, like, like voyeuristic, but that's actually helpful. I mean... And it's, you know, I've, I've processed a lot of that stuff. So, I, I mean, it's been helpful to me, actually. Cool. It was uh, a typical flight. Uh, I was coming back from Seoul to San Francisco. And uh, it's, it's funny because I had helped uh, host Sheryl Sandberg um, at the company uh, that week. And... Um, uh, Everything was fine except the landing, mm-hmm. and the landing was not a good one. That's the, and, that's the important part, right? Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, you know, the back of the plane kind of snapped off, and a lot of people went flying out of the back, which is unfortunate, and uh, skidded on the runway and almost turned over, and then there was a fire. Um, and, and there was no warning. It wasn't. There was no warning. It was just oh, no. everyone thought it was a normal landing, and then suddenly, just okay. what was it? Just a noise, and what was that like? Um. It was a surprise, to say the least, because everything about the flight had been fine Mm -hmm. until the very last part of it, uh, the landing. Um, And then, you know, uh, black acreage smoke and, you know, uh, alarms and people, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. There were generally two reactions from the people. Either people were very calm, trying to figure things out, or freaking out, right? And uh, that was the first time that I'd been that close to... Uh, an unexpected disaster. Wow. Um, but um, I, I think a lot of people, when, when they meet me, they, especially in Silicon Valley, they, they tend to know me because of my time at Google uh, or from this incident because uh, uh, after we evacuated the plane and we were you know, in a safe place, um, I had uh, sent a message out uh, what, to what I thought was just a small handful of people who knew that uh, who know knew that I'd be on that flight? So I was just trying to send them in a, and I was in a bit of shock as well. Mm. I was just trying to send them a short message: "Hey, I'm I'm okay. My plane's uh, crashed, but I want you to know what really happened." Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened is, um, it uh, it I was on a social media network called Path at the time. Yeah, Path, yeah. And I uh, knew Path, I should say, yeah. Yeah, and it was connected to my other uh, social media networks, and it it, it kind of blew up on Twitter. And uh, someone had, someone scraped um, the message, and then they, I think it, it got on you know TV cable news or something. Yeah, you were like the undercover CNN agent. Yeah, and uh, uh, so uh, completely unintended. But what it it's what happened as a result of that is uh, a lot of people uh, know that I was in this this plane crash, and it's it's interesting. You 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 uh, run into strangers, and and they you know first confirm whether you know you were that guy who. Mm-hmm was on that crash and then you hear these these stories of uh, similar incidents or times where people uh, faced what they thought was uh, you know a, a near death experience and um, lots of questions about you know what you did and how you're thinking yeah. and were you the calm one or were you one of the panicky ones? <laughs> I was I, I was calm I, I found out that in those kind of situations I I, I kind of like um, 
I get very, uh, I, I, I get very, very focused mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, the wheels are turning, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think I was pretty calm. Uh, and I remember, um, thinking that, um, uh, my, my wife and kids who, uh, I'd need to reach out to them before mm-hmm. they saw this on the news or else they would think the worst. Um, but, uh, what's interesting is that uh, after we crashed, um, initial reports were, th- uh, were that everyone on the plane had perished. My God. Yeah. So there, at least initially, there were some people, and, and Cheryl still jokes about it uh, with me to this day, she thought that I had, had, you know, had, had passed away on this, on this flight. So for, for, there was a window there where anyone who knew any, uh, someone on that flight, they thought that we had perished. So for a lot of folks we kind of came back to life too. And so that's interesting when you meet folks hmm. and you have that, that kind of conversation. But, um, in the, in the midst of all that, uh, the business, busyness of our lives, right. And, 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 and staying plugged, um, uh, in July, um, yeah. every July, uh, I think about that crash and it's, um, it's turned into an opportunity for me to kind of think about, Hey, what, what's going on here? What are you doing with your life? Are you focusing on the stuff that really matters, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, uh, in some way, you're 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 uh, working with the house's money. You know, you're you're living on some borrowed time wow. here. So, uh, what are you doing about that? And what is that? How did the, the cra- like, crash affect you? I mean, emotionally, on top of that, were you shaken up for a long time, or was it kind of just like, oh, that was a close one, and you kind of just focused on other things? You know, I um, it 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 uh, didn't shake me emotionally mm-hmm. uh, so maybe I'm uh, fortunate in that regard um, but it made me a lot more thoughtful uh, or contemplative I, I, w- I would say about um, you know that you hear this a lot what's what's urgent versus important yeah and uh, for me frankly what was urgent was important right and that's the thing that gets attention and um, I would say that after going through that, one of the things that really makes you do is distinguish between what's urgent and what's important, mm-hmm. right? And it does really clarify, uh, you know, and it comes and goes, but it clarifies uh, what what really the important stuff and, frankly, the, the people, yeah. the important people are, uh, who the important people are in your life. Did you make any, like, any big life changes or shifts after that? Um, you know, what I would say is I doubled down on reaching out to and spending time with folks, people, friends mm-hmm. that I probably hadn't been uh, as much as I had because I'd been so busy. So I doubled down with the people that were important. And was, that I, like, was that phone calls or meetings? Or just phone like calls t- and meetings, yeah, reaching out, spending time. Um, and then I'm uh, much more quick to say no and uh, decline um, invitations or, uh, uh, requests to spend time at events or, or with people that, you know, they're not bad people or whatever, but if you're going to prioritize, you, you have to figure out what you're mm-hmm. going to say no to. Right. And so I think I've gotten uh, a lot more, um, assertive about what's a no and what's a yes, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And you, um, you still, you know, you st- like you said, last year you flew 300,000 miles. Do you, was that, do you have a new anxiety now? Like, how did you, was there a fear? Did you, was that a big deal to get on that first plane afterwards? 
Yeah, you know, I um, what I did is um, I put myself on a plane the following week. It's uh, and uh, we uh, took a, a group of colleagues from San Francisco down to LA. It was um, meeting with some folks at Warner Brothers, and uh, I remember that the landing was actually a really rough landing mm-hmm. in Burbank when we landed. And I said out loud, "My gosh, you know, I, I cannot buy a smooth landing." <laughs> And, you know, and no one laughed around me. No. <laughs> no one laughed. And so my joke was, look, I'm probably the safest person in the world to fly with yeah. because it, it can't happen twice. Yeah, the odds of... Right. That's right. Um, but uh, so, you know, I fly a lot. I, I, I don't think about it because statistically it, it was a really rare uh, occurrence. But, uh, you know, occasionally when you hit, hit that, that, uh, that pocket of turbulence and everything, you know, it, it, it wakes you up. Uh, but I, it's not, um, luckily, a, a debilitating thing or something that's, uh, you know, kind of makes me freeze uh, when I get on a, a flight. For me, I think it's just, uh, frankly, been more of a, a positive thing, right? That's mm-hmm. That, that kind of woke me up a bit. Um, so that's what I tell people. And, and uh, frankly, it's, it's interesting. After the uh, incident, the accident, I've met a few people um, that have even gone through plane crashes themselves mm-hmm. or different types of accidents. And the exchange that you have with those people, it feels like you're in a little bit of a, a club, right? And you kind of cut to the the chase on kind of insights yeah. and what you're thinking. And so uh, that's actually been uh, a benefit, if that's the right word for it, from having gone through that experience. Have you met more people than you thought that have been in plane crashes? Uh well, the fact that I would meet anyone that was in a plane crash yeah. Uh, is yes, but I've also met people who've just had uh, these surprising uh, near-death uh, experiences, mm-hmm. right? And that's uh, that's been a surprise. Yeah. yeah, we had Captain Sully Sullenberger on the show. I saw. So it. we got a little a little theme. You guys should get a <laughs> get a beer in San Francisco and talk about. Uh your experiences. That would be a lot of fun, actually. David, this is great. I know you say no to a lot of things, but I appreciate you saying yes to this. Um, Thank you for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. If you'd like to reach us, email us at interview at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like finding an onion ring in your french fries good. Feel that way every single day when you work with a Trunk Club personal stylist. Meet your stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B dot com. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.